schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Happy halfway through the week. It's RJ Salves and Eric Franson on 106 on FM, 1390 AM, The Fan, and 106onthefan.com. Wherever you are, however you are, and however you're listening to us, we appreciate you for doing so here on uh, on the Full Court Press. Grateful to have you along. Uh, I know it's one of those, what are you guys going to talk about today? Are you guys going to make it through another one-hour show? We do got a lot to actually get through. As you heard at the top of the hour, Fox Sports Update, uh, college football um, commissioners met, 10 of them, uh, had a conference call with Mike Pence, uh, and as you heard, the the, the really the bottom line to it is is that if, if students can't return to the university, college football will not start on time. Period. The end of story. No other way to put it. And, and so my question to that is, is that because they're trying to tr- they're taking the stance that look we're going to treat all students under our umbrella the same, whether they're athletes or just t- your typical students. Or is it because if if for what what are the reasons that they can't do that? Why can't you have games without fans in the stands? Uh, I and a big reason to this is from what I had read, money. Uh, Ohio State's uh, commissioner, not not commissioner, president, and the Big Ten commissioner also came out and said. You know, the revenue is important, and through that revenue becomes the fans, through ticket services, through concession stands, through, you know, events and such. And they feel like the fans are a big product of that, and that's why there's reason to be concerned. So you shut it down and you don't do anything? I mean, at least there'd be some revenue from the, the broadcast the of the TV games. revenue would be great, yes, but not but everybody has that TV revenue, though. True, I and mean, there's still an expense of turning the lights on and having security, uh, and uh, you know making sure that you have the power and the officials and the staff that they can all be there. So there, you definitely have your expenses, but I don't know that if it's about money, aren't you losing more by not doing any at all? Not, and that's a great point. Uh, maybe I'm missing that's, something no, that's here. That's a great question. Uh, but I get it. I mean, ticket revenue is is very important. No question. American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco today told USA Today, "quote It was a it was a good phone call. Uh, he talked about how important college sports were to the country. Speaking of Mike Pence, and we discussed how college sports were different from pro sports. We don't have Cesars. Uh, we're a national enterprise, but we'll have local issues as we go forward." He seemed optimistic about some things, and he asked what we we need to do if things were to reopen down the road. End quote. There's a lot that needs to happen still. We are still in, I, I hate to put it this way, but we're still in the first stages of college football even starting on time. We start. We have to start looking at that as a realistic, um, realistic answer to this whole situation is that college football will not start on time. So with that, Laura Rutledge here uh, of ESPN talks about, so if they don't start on time, when do you play? 
in this year, in this school year, we will see college football. I firmly believe that. But does that mean that it's in the spring? And look, I understand that opens up so many cans of worms. And it's just not going to be easy no matter how they end up having to do it. But I do think they would try to put it in the spring just to get the, the season in. So imagine this, Eric. Football starts in February of 2021. <laughs> it ends. I know. And then you think about it. So, and then by this includes non-conference games. So September, October, November plus bowl games go February, May, or February, March, April, May. Which, by the way, also intervenes with men's college basketball. (laughs) I don't know how you do that. So with that. Unusual times call for unusual measures. I get that. (laughs) How unhappy would college basketball be? Coaches, athletic directors, would they be thrilled about having college football and college basketball but, overlap each other? Boy, Ajay, we saw a couple times when Utah State basketball had a couple of home games in a row, and we were not seeing very good fan attendance to those. And people were like, ah, just it's overload. You know, I only have so much dollars I can spend to go to games. So I can't make it to every game. I'm going to choose not to go to every game. <laughs> now if you have that situation, and then on top of that, college football on top of it. Yeah. Well, and schedule. And, and by really, ways, can you imagine trying to go to a game here in Logan, Utah, in January? Yeah. How many people are going to show up for that? Well, and by the way, it also you have to also mess with game times too. For example, if you're playing on a Saturday night for a football game, but you're also men's basketball is playing on a Saturday at night because they're both from ESPN, both scheduled by ESPN. So, hey, by the way, men's basketball is at 7 o'clock. Uh, college football will be at 8 o'clock. So, why don't you see the first half of basketball? Watch them, you know, take a lead by 20, leave the Spectrum, get over to Maverick, and go watch the football game at 8 o'clock at night in February. Yikes. Hey, let's go play a football game when it's five degrees outside. And, oh, it's not just a one-time thing. Let's do that again, like, three or four more times. 9315 just texted in, do you really want to play a football game at the stadium in February? The question is actually going to be rhetorical, 9315. I'm going to ask you, the listeners, by the way, uh, if you ever want to join the show, roll call, 435-339-0321. Text in for free. Four three five three three nine zero three two one. I say for free. It's per message or data per your contract with your service. Uh, but would you go to a football game in February, whether it was two o'clock in the afternoon or seven o'clock at night? And if they play non-conference games, it's Washington State at our place. Would you go? Would you go to an eight, a seven to six o'clock game? And the nine three one five text in Jordan Love would never serve survived if we played games in February. What do you think? <laughs> I would agree, I would but agree. there's not a lot of players like Hawaii wouldn't survive uh, having to come here and play every game in the winter. Uh, a lot of players would not survive that situation. I'm gonna just throw it out there. No. SEC would be okay because there's not a big, huge winter storm situation. But over here, Big Ten. You imagine Big Ten? Oh, it'd be brutal. What's Minnesota gonna do? It'd be. What's brutal. Michigan gonna do? Well, Minnesota, they're not in a the dome. They're anymore. not in a dome. No, they used to be. Huh? Iowa ice storms oh, all dude. the time in the Horrible. winter time in in January. No horrible. way, man. Uh, I, just, I don't see it. 
So the, I don't see it. The, the question then becomes after that is, how quickly can we get a decision on this situation to know what, uh, what the possibilities are? And, and I think that's kind of the, that's the biggest question everybody wants answered is, how long is it going to take to figure this out? Because, by the way, we still don't have a complete answer on uh, – well, I guess, I mean, college universities need to know like what season ticket situation is going to be like, right? So here is Laura Routledge on how quick a decision could be made. Okay, let's say we get to that May point, and they just don't think it's possible that they can bring people back to campus in mid-July, which, look, it, it might be possible, but it does seem a little bit unlikely to see that as a possibility throughout the country as this virus continues to spread and, and just as it kind of moves through the country in different ways and at different times. And that's just part of a pandemic, right, and stuff that is way above my head. But I do think that you know, they may have to look at it and say, we've got to make some sort of decision at the end of May that will influence the rest of the summer and at least give these guys a roadmap for what this looks like. So then you're saying, okay, maybe we push the season back. Well, that's been talked about. Do they start in November? Okay, that's a possibility. Maybe they shorten the season. Maybe it's a a shorter season right into the college football playoff, and that's what we're looking at this year, and it just has to be that way because of what we're dealing with. But there are concerns that the virus could come back again when the weather is colder or maybe just come back again in general. They don't want to have to stop down on a season. I think that's a really important point in all of this. The last thing you want to do is start up and then have to stop down again. So that's key in their thinking. There's a billion and one points that she made that I want to get through with you, and I want to hear your opinion as well. Number one is here, Eric, and this kind of I want you to chime in heavy on this part. The coronavirus might die down in June, July, August, maybe September. But come November, December, and January, and February, does it pick back up? Does it reset itself? And I mean, we already, I, I, you know, I've already seen articles from you know other websites saying that Sweden, who jumped both feet in the water a little bit too soon, is now suffering from another pandemic situation where they got themselves into more trouble or at least deeper waters because they got back too early. If the virus comes back too soon, do you? I, I, let me ask you this: Is that possible? That it can come back? Sure. There is, a, there is a strong concern about a second wave as people start to resume their normal activities again and congregating and things like that, and then the, it starts to come back. Um, but I think also what's being left out of this discussion is by that time, by late fall, early next year, based on the way things are going right now, I, I would... I would be surprised and I'd be shocked if we don't have a vaccine available by then. Or at least more advanced testing, uh, understanding with antibodies and uh, quick testing to know if somebody's in the early stages of it and they can be pulled out, pull an individual out. You can still resume a, a season or a sporting event, but if one person is infected, you isolate them because um, you're, you're, you're testing quicker you have more knowledge. You're getting results quicker. I don't think you necessarily need to shut down an entire team or an entire league in six months from now if you have somebody that's starting to show some early signs. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I think that that far out is so hard to predict, one. 
But two, I also, I, I'm, I'm maybe I'm just more of an optimist. I, I feel like our science community, they have brilliant people working on this. Even Utah State University has a grant. They have great people that are working on this right now um, about how to understand this and how to treat it. Um, and then starting to get that into uh, in people's hands, to, 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 uh, a vaccine or more understanding about how to treat it. I, I think the biggest part of this is that it's caught a lot of people by surprise, and it's just it's new, and so they don't know how to treat it. Um, but if you're not going to have students on campus, if a university in, in just any one single university in college football says we can't have we're, we're not we're not opening our doors yet we're not opening our campus yet i don't know how you can open up a uh, an athletics facility when the rest of the university is closed yeah and you, and you don't open up the library you know students be able to do places because if we are going to do that aj then let's call a spade a spade and what we've already always known that athletics is a different animal it's a money machine and it's uh, it's a different part of the university experience, and just split it off. Call it what it is. Another part that that Laura Rutledge brings up is is the answer to get by May. If they can get an answer by May, that gives colleges and universities plenty of time to make adjustments to the things they need to adjust to. Whether it's having conference games or not having, or excuse me, having non-conference games or having them. How many games would you play non-conference? Would you shorten the season by how much? If you start in November, when do you end? Uh, there's just, I mean, there's a lot of questions there. And I think you're right. I think we are still a long ways away. It feels like we're a long ways away from June. Based on how much time and how far we've progressed with the science, data, research, yada, 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 it, it feels like June is an eternity away. To be able to say, oh, hey, well, you know, let's go ahead and just X out this and this and this. But as I've already mentioned before, um, you have to be realistic in looking at the situation too. And understand that, yeah, maybe college football does take a back seat for here for just, I mean, for three weeks. Whatever it is, three to four weeks of their season is X-Nade. So you can make sure that, uh, that our players and our students, because again... The most important thing of this whole entire situation is the athletes themselves. The coaches, the people, that they are all safe on the field. That they are not going to get sick and they're not going to die. If you can make sure and assure yourselves of that, then yes, you're good to go. But I think we're going to be a little bit from there. And I think just because of that in itself and of its own, I would be really surprised if they did start college football season. Uh, I'm, I'm... I think that will. It's more likely that we will see the NFL resume before we see college football. I'm resume. with you, absolutely with you. On I, that I think one. they've got yep. the resources. Yep. Uh, I think they've got the the financial backing, and I think they've got the facilities that they can resume play without fans much easier than college football could resume without fans. Uh, Doctor Anthony Fauci, he's the he's the guru. Uh, he's the top infectious disease guy that we see in all these White House press briefings. He's done different interviews with celebrities online, trying to reach different audiences. Uh, he held one um, earlier today, I believe it was, or was it yesterday? Uh, but he says that he does believe that there is a way that that sports will happen this summer, but it would have to be without fans. He sees that their way 
forward for that. He says, nobody comes to the stadium. Put the players in big hotels, wherever you want to play. Keep them very well surveilled. Have them tested every single week and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and just let them play the season out. So he's optimistic that you could do it. It's possible. It's just do they have the will to do it? As, as a league, are you willing to See, relocate, basically, isolate yourself, but still play the games until people can start to attend again? See, baseball could get away with it. Basketball will do it. I think NFL will do it. College football, I still think, is on the brink of, like, we, we got to do it with fans. I still think college football is the black sheep of it all. I think baseball, basketball, excuse me, immediately baseball, NBA, and NFL will be just, let's pull, we just want to play, let's just play. Whatever the situation is, let's just play. People can watch us on TV, there's your TV revenue, we know how it all works. Uh, but, it, do you, th- well, I guess that's not possible, huh? I was going to say, do you think that they just start the season earlier, college football, but they can't. If they don't train on time, then they can't start the season earlier, huh? Because if they're worried about winter and the virus coming back, you could start in June and have the playoffs and bowl games be in, what, September, October? I know it's weird, but that you know avoids the whole winter situation if you really believe in that. Yeah, I just... Uh, uh, there's such a big part of the country that have outdoor stadiums and have would have sub-zero temperatures that just really would not be safe. I, I get it. I mean, we see the Green Bay Packers playing playoff games in January, and we all think, oh, that's so cool. Look, everybody's bundled up, and you see the steam coming off of all the players' heads, and well, you know what a brutal situation it is. And yeah, it, it is unique. It's different, and those are very hardy people, and that could be done in other places. But those are just a few games here and there. It's not like having nearly an entire season in those conditions. Um, and not among you know, grown men. I mean, they're pretty big dudes, don't get me wrong. But um, I don't know. I just I just have a hard time seeing it, Ajay. I think that there's there's a way forward. I just don't know that with the, at the college level, if it's the same way forward as it is in the professional in the professional, level. Okay. And that, and I mean, that makes a whole lot of sense. I still think, you know, going back to the point of, you know, no fans and you let the players play. Um, I don't know. There's just so many, like I said, I, we're, we're still a little bit of a ways away from June to see what the situation might be because things are so fluid. They've changed every single week, week to week to week. It's changed. But we also have to remember, and I'll, and I'll bring it up again. Adam Rittenberg had, had said this four or five days ago. You can't have college football start, especially strength and conditioning. You cannot have that start in one state and have another state not start on time. Right. And I think that's the big that's thing with this. that's a huge unfair advantage. Because there's going to be certain areas of the, of the country, wide swaths of the country, that it's resumed. You, you, your life has gone back to normal to, to some degree, perhaps even to a total degree. But there's other parts of the country that are still very much in the ravages of this pandemic. And so... If there's if there's any one college that's still being affected that plays um, that's a, that has a sport uh, that's the campus is still shut down and you can't congregate, I don't know how it's it's fair or equal for everybody else involved that's going to have that competition to uh, 
to still be involved, still be able to do it. I hate to do this. And I'm not just talking football. I mean, let's talk volleyball and (laughs) soccer and all the other sports that happened in the fall. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, I hate to do this because Darren Rovell can be an idiot. Um, I think him and Doug Gottlieb have really trended themselves upward on the idiot list. Uh, but Darren Rovell tweeted this out, and I and this is just completely wrong, I think, to an extent. But he says ticket revenue is 75% of the money for college football. 75%, Eric. It's 15% of the money for the NFL. That's why it doesn't pay for college football to play without a crowd, and it does pay for the NFL to play anyway. I also think that you know East Big Ten school makes fifty four million in TV money last year. I think that was what uh, Mount West Conference made, uh, SEC and the Big Ten Network, the Big Twelve Network. I mean, that's a whole load of money in itself. So I think the TV revenue would cover for the loss of cost from ticket revenue. Are we wrong? No. Well, I I think that the the bottom line is the Power Five schools have. Uh, revenue stores. Uh, they, I mean, they have money in the bank, uh, and they can weather this a little bit better. They could probably have games without the fans. Yes, it still affects their bottom line like everybody else it does, but they could pull it off for an extended period of time much more than a school like Utah State, San Jose State. New Mexico. Those schools need the ticket revenue. Yeah. Badly. Absolutely. They badly need that ticket revenue. Because TV revenue is okay, but it doesn't come at the same time as the ticket revenue does. And then you have all the in-stadium in sponsors. Who's going to pay for that? Uh, the uh, different activities that happen. Yeah, that's out the window. Why would you pay for that? Why would you spend any money in uh, in college athletics as a sponsor? So those are those are big serious concerns that these athletic departments have to consider. Not easy questions to answer. And you know we saw just the other day, uh, University of Cincinnati, uh, they're dumping their soccer program. Uh, we've seen yeah. a couple other uh, lots of different uh, universities. The athletic director. Several of their high-profile coaches all taking pay cuts, um, but I also saw somebody say that if if a a sport was eliminated just recently, it's not just because of what happened with COVID nineteen. They were probably thinking about it before, and this provided the excuse to do it. Um, but if you're, I mean, the college basketball money from the tournament disappeared. If you don't have those big money games in the fall for your college football team. And all the ticket revenue that comes through college football, wow, really, really tough to fund your your other sports, your other programs. Because football pays for vast majority of all of your athletics. Uh, <laughs> I so, wish. I, I don't wish. know, Aj. I mean, I wish there would be some easy way to to That's say what yeah, I was trying absolutely, to say, yeah. but. It's still too early, and I'm, I agree. There have to be, uh, there has to be a standard for everyone. Um, you you can't have it. Uh, schools dismissed. Uh, the inability to gather more than ten people at a time. 
in some areas in your conference, but others it's okay. It just it won't work. You can't pull it off. And it's going to be really frustrating for those that are the all clear. Like, come on, let's do something. We, we're healthy. We're fine. It's not that bad here. We can do things. But um, it just, it, I, don't, I don't see how it creates a competitive fairness. Yeah, <laughs> I and and that's the thing is it, we're so again I've, I'll say it one more time we're so far away from knowing exactly what the answer will be. I mean, because that answer probably will not come as Laura said till mid May, and maybe end of May might be pushing it, but mid May, and a lot can happen in then. Like I mean, just so many things can happen and trend upward or trend downward or just stay the same that we don't know. But I'll tell you this, if it is staying the same or if it is trending, I mean, of course, trending downward, but if it is still where we are at now, Eric, I would say that for sure football will be pushed back. Absolutely for sure. If, if we are where we are now in mid-May, we'll be pushed back. Uh, I think you're right. Um, you know, that's crazy. President and I, and Trump, I feel like we're in better situation too. Uh, it sounds like tr- president Trump is going to make some announcement this week about starting to reopen some things. But he, he, yesterday he said he made it clear that each state is going to be different. Uh, they may, uh, because of how their situations are. Um, but he wants to, uh, provide a way for, for those that are in the, it's really not that bad where they are to, Open things back up again, but how about that? It, it, California, that, Oregon, and uh, Washington basically all come together and said, "We're going slow on this. We want to make sure everything's all clear. We're not going to be pressured by politics or economics. We want to make sure that it's it's the science says we're all clear to start slowly backing things, uh, putting things back together again." So, for those those states there. It may still be a little while. Well, in Florida, their governor just came out and said, hey, uh, I talked to NASCAR. We want them to come do their races in Florida. Uh, he is all in on that. So I'm guessing that Florida is going to be given the go. <laughs> if they're not being given the go already, they will. The problem is, though, is that if people flock to Florida and someone gets – I know we, we, we've said it over and over and over again, but if someone gets sick, one person gets it, and it spreads without the vaccine here yet – then what? <laughs> then what? I mean, I just it's just it's a bigger problem than it's a bigger problem when people are eyeing as a, eyeing it as now. That's that's really what it all comes down to. All right, we gotta take a break. Uh coming back, Vince Carter would have played his final basketball game today, Eric. And we're also gonna celebrate a baseball player. We all know it's Jackie Robinson Day. Oh, uh, that's right. It is uh, one. Of, he was one of the first to appropriately and technicality explain it. One of the first to break the color barrier, at least the most famous one of them all, if you will. Uh, so we're going to celebrate those two players here, have a conversation about them, and give our personal thoughts on it. That's all coming up here on the Full Court Press, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Eric France and LJ Salveson, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan, 106.9thefan.com. Midway through the week, it's a Wednesday. 
April 15th, midway through the month, midway through the week. You know, I still remember when Vince Carter had that spectacular dunk contest. Do you know what's crazy is that I think it was just after 2003 when his career went down. Now, okay, I say that with a big asterisk next to it because I say his career went down, but then he played for 16 more years of basketball. So I guess production-wise, it went down slowly, if you will, just very, very slowly. Vince Carter, though, and I remember because people said, hey, it's Michael Jordan, because everyone was trying to find the next Michael Jordan after he left basketball. Was it Kobe Bryant? No, he airballed two threes against the Jazz in 98. No, he's not ready yet. But then he had two great seasons, back-to-back-to-back titles with the Lakers, but Shaq was at his side. So people weren't counting it. And then, you know, but here comes Vince Carter, this dunk enthusiast, who, by the way, has scored or tied for the most points in, at the time in North Carolina men's basketball history by scoring 52 in a game. So everyone was comparing it. You know, Vince Carter, Michael Jordan, stat-wise this, stat-wise that. Um, Vince never won an NBA championship. Went to one or two, but never won one. And But I think the way he changed the game, especially the slam dunk competition, is what makes him so great. Is he a Hall of Famer, though, Eric? I think he is, partially because of his longevity. Um, and granted, just because you're in the league a long time doesn't mean you're a Hall of Famer. I was going to say. But uh, he hasn't just been a, a, a journeyman that's just kind of bounced around and stuck somewhere deep on a bench. Um, he evolved his game because early on he was a, a dynamic around-the-rim finisher uh, that caught a lot of people's attention and um, electrified the game for a while. But then he developed other parts of his game and uh, was an important part of those Toronto Raptors for a long time. Yeah, they um, went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, he and Tracy McGrady together. Oh, that was and Marcus Camby was on that team too. That was loaded. How they never got to an NBA Finals is still beyond my understanding. So, is he a Hall of Famer? I probably lean to say yes, but if, if I'm going to say he's a Hall of Famer, I have to say Carmelo Anthony is a Hall of Famer. And Carmelo Anthony is a Hall of Famer. I've been really hesitant to say that. I, Why? I think I've gone on the record saying I don't think he is. Yeah, but... It, but uh, if if Vince Carter is a Hall of Famer, then Carmelo Anthony has to be considered a Hall of Famer. Uh, I think Carmelo Anthony has a better case than Vince Carter. An absolute better case than Vince Carter. Uh, Just because he scored more points? Well, he also won two gold medals. And he was a key figure in those two, yeah, two gold medals. Vince Carter's won some gold medals. He's part of uh, the Olympic teams. He, did he win a gold medal though? Yeah, he dunked over a seven foot French dude oh, yeah, in the two thousand right. Olympics. It's like one of the best highlights of all time. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. That's when he used to have hair. Huh? Him and Kevin Garnett were on that team. That team was not that good. Carmelo Anthony, based on, I don't know what to base it on. Because I feel like the NBA Hall of Fame looks at your college stature, college basketball career too, as a stature. I swear they do. Like, what is what is Sutton, Eddie Sutton doing in the Hall of Fame from Oklahoma State? I don't get that. There's, there's guys in that Hall of Fame that I just don't understand and can't explain it to you. 
Eddie Sutton's one of those guys. But what Carmelo Anthony did, leading his team to a national championship as a freshman, and then coming onto the scene in the NBA, he took the Nuggets to the Western Conference Finals, he took the Knicks to the playoffs, that feels like centuries ago, uh, and he led, he was a key component in two gold medals uh, for the U- Team USA. Ask Kobe Bryant, ask Michael Jordan, ask any of the greats, and they'd say Carmelo's a Hall of Famer. Ask him about Vince Carter, and I think it's more of a shrug. Hard to say, but I feel like that'd be more of a shrug. Um, but again, tonight Vince Carter would be playing his final game. In the NBA. Now, whether they get back to regular season games or not, it's yet to be determined. We'll find out when it gets to that point. Um, but <laughs> half man, half amazing. Uh, I still. What was your? Do you remember the dunk contest? I do. Yeah. What was your favorite dunk? Uh, probably when he put his whole like That's half his arm too. through there to the elbow. Do you remember just nope, hanging on the rim? Do you remember the reaction to the crowd? Like, nobody erupted. Nobody stood up. Like, okay, people stood up, but nobody was like, oh, my gosh. Everyone was like, what in the fetch did you just do? <laughs> I remember Jason Kidd shaking his head and Allen Iverson, like, jaw dropped to the floor, sitting back in his – no player or, or, or I guess, guest as uh, Kevin Garnett, Shaquille O'Neal, Jason Kidd, Allen Iverson, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki. No one of those all-stars who were just there to watch were standing up. All of them were just sitting there like, oh my gosh. The guy just stuck his <laughs> arm through the rim. That, yeah, that one still today blows my mind. The through the legs dunk. I don't know why, because that had been done before. I don't know why it looked so good from Vince, though. I don't know why it looked so good from Vince. I don't know if it was just pure adrenaline. But that was incredible. By the way, just looking up some things on basketball reference. Yes. Uh, Vince Carter... Has played more games than John Stockton. It's over fifteen hundred games. Really, not by much, but he has beat him. Uh, and as a reference, Carmelo Anthony only about eleven hundred games. Vince Carter one thousand five hundred and forty-one games played. You know, he, did he go to one finals or two? Because I know he played with the Nets. And I can't remember how many finals he appearances he had. Vince Carter? Yeah. He played with the Nets? Yeah. Him and Kenya Martin and Jason Kidd and uh, and Keith Van Horn. And I can't remember who was on that team. Hang on. I got to... Yeah, look that up for me because I can't remember. I, 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 may, I, I, I keep thinking two, but my heart says it was just one. And it was the one where they got dominated by the Lakers. I think in four or five games, it was like the lowest rated, lowest viewed NBA Finals in NBA history at that point in time. Uh, thought I had it, but I pushed on the wrong button. Sorry. No, 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 you're good. Anyways, I, even at that point, um, I mean, in fact, actually going to look it up too because it's, now it's bothering Oh, yeah, me. yeah. He was traded to the Nets. I forgot about that. Oh, he was traded. I can't remember what he was traded for. 2004 to 2009. Entered the league in 1998. Played with the Raptors till 2004. Traded to New Jersey. Played there for five seasons. 
went to the Magic for a season, went to the Suns for a season, was at Dallas for a few years, went to Memphis, went Wait, to Sacramento, when was he and in now Dallas? in Atlanta. When was he in Dallas? 2011 to 14. So he did win two. Or no, he did go to two. He won one because Dallas won the finals in 11 when they beat the Heat. And then he also got swept or they got beat four games to two by the San Antonio Spurs. Did they go to back-to-back finals? No way. Because didn't they get beat? I thought they got beat by the Lakers. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they got beat by the... Nope, it was just the Spurs. I was wrong. So, um, anyways, Vinsanity. Supposed to be playing his final game tonight. God rest his soul. If they come back and they finish off the 18 games, do you think he plays? Or is he like, dude, this is... No, I I do think he plays. Because he made it pretty clear that the... That night when the NBA shut down, he they were quizzing him, hey, this this could be your last game. It took him by surprise. And he got a little emotional. He's like, well, uh, that's right. It's not how I was planning this yeah, to end. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, it uh, is also, Eric, Jackie Robinson Day. And this is where all the, all the teams and all the players, managers, and everybody wear number 42. And they have a little ceremony at the beginning of the game, just a video or whatever it is. Uh, of Jackie Robinson and, and kind of a tribute to him and, and his time playing baseball, his career, and what he did in breaking the barrier for all colored baseball players. After him, a slew of colored baseball players, African-American and Dominican Republican Latino, started to come into the ranks and started to play baseball. One of, uh, There was uh, Willie Mays, right? Um, who is it? Uh was it Whitey Gibson? Gibson, what's his name? The St. Louis Cardinals pitcher. Gibson. Was it? Oh. I can't remember his name. He used to, and he's, he won two Cy Youngs. Uh, won a couple of World Series as well. I can't remember his name. Whitey, was it Whitey Ford? No, it was Gibson. I, never, I just can't remember his freaking first name. Anyways, Gibson came on. And all those guys, it's interesting because Jackie Robinson went through absolute hell when he was playing in the in the majors, right? With oh, the Brooklyn yeah. Dodgers. I mean, and what the movie 42 doesn't even do it justice for what he actually went through. No. What's interesting, though, is that the players after him went through similar or even more. Two decades later, when after Jackie Robinson entered the league, other guys came in and wanted to play and they faced it just as much, if not more so. And the interesting thing is a lot of these people said, um, a lot of these guys said, you know what? Jackie got protection. We didn't. Uh, one of them was Dick Allen uh, of the Philadelphia Phillies. He he actually said, you know, I, Jackie was... They pulled in by the owner. Hey, look, we are here for you. Or I, I don't know if it's the owner or if it was the GM, but we are here for you. You know, uh, we're going to get through it together. Uh, I remember the ma- the manager's speech about going into like the white players that signed a petition. So he went in and he got all the players late, like early, early, early morning, late, late, late night, and said, you know what? Like it, love it. He's on our roster. I don't care what you say. And he's going to play, and you're going to like it. None of those other players after Jackie Robinson really got that same kind of care. 
that and they expected to get it and they never did. Uh, in fact, uh, I believe it was Allen. Yeah, there's a story about Allen getting in a fight with uh, Frank Thomas when he was playing for the Philadelphia Phillies before he went to the Baltimore Orioles. And Frank Thomas uh, hit Allen in the shoulder with a bat. So they booted Frank Thomas off the team. But they also muzzled the players and uh, Allen from saying anything in the, to the press. No interviews, no press, nothing like that. Meanwhile, Frank Thomas is out there and like, look, I was the victim of this. Allen was abusing me. He was taking advantage of me. He was acting, you know, hostile towards me. And and Allen said, I almost wanted to quit. And he said, none of the players ever backed me up, even though they knew he was wrong, including the manager. When it was all said and done, nobody, nobody you know, came out and said, hey, by the way, Allen was actually good. He didn't start the fight. Frank Thomas is a liar. Nobody ever came out for him. And so as much as we celebrate Jackie Robinson Day, there's other guys after him who went through just as much and never got the consideration they deserved as well going through the 60s and 70s playing baseball. Yeah, it, it has come a long way. Probably still some, some room to grow, but uh, it's significantly different now uh, than it was. Thank goodness. Well, what is it in 2017? What player was it that was playing? I think against the Boston Red Sox, who got a racial slur yelled at him. Uh, what was it? I believe it was in yeah, it was uh, Adam Jones of the Baltimore Orioles playing a game at Boston in Fenway, and some fan was hurling racial ins like racial slurs. And I mean, as you said, the games came a long ways where nobody else was like joining in with them, and so they all turned around, got security, and got him out of there. Back then in 60 and 40s and 50s, it was, hey, we're going to join in with you. It wasn't one fan. It was thousands or hundreds of fans. Yeah. Yeah, it was really bad. Uh, even though baseball is not being played today, a lot of major leaguers and uh, recently retired major league baseball players doing some things, some really cool tributes on social media, uh, paying homage to uh, to Jackie Robinson. Uh, Curtis Granderson, um, he is uh, celebrating – Robinson by donating forty-two thousand meals to a, to, to some uh, food bank partners. Um, see some guys posing with some pictures, guys showing off their tattoos of uh, of Robinson. Um, their uh, you know, different clips that they're they're showing or uh, retweeting or sharing on their own personal feeds. Uh, being involved in some some interviews talking about how the game has changed for African American players. Um, so really cool to see, even though the game's not being played, they're still in that community. They're still finding ways to honor and recognize Jackie Robinson for uh, what he meant for the game and how he changed the game and helped change America, Boy, really. And by the way, Jackie Robinson was a great baseball player, too. It wasn't <laughs> yes, just a was. color bearer. He was a heck of a baseball player. And he had the tenacity, the aggressiveness, the IQ to play with all the rest of those guys. And and equaled up with the best of them. So, uh, yeah, happy Jackie Robinson Day to the base to uh, the baseball world. Um, it's, Ooh, this is cool. Thomas Toll, he's the guy who produced the movie about Jackie Robinson's life. Oh yeah, he's donating four point two million dollars worth of personal protective equipment to hospitals that serve to specifically serve the African American communities and others that have been hard hit by this COVID nineteen. So, really cool gestures today. Uh, even though the game isn't being played, 
They're still finding ways to make important gestures to recognize and honor Jackie Robinson. Do you, in fact, I remember reading a story on this. Uh, the guy who wanted the petition signed to kick Jackie off the team and not let him come up to the majors <laughs> was later on interview and he said, yeah, that was the biggest regret of my life. And he said, not only because I embarrassed myself, but he said, like, when you watch Jackie play, he, he gave you no argument. He'd go up there and go four for five on a hot day, getting yelled at and screamed at by thousands of people of the worst things you could think of, and death threats included. And he'd go up and go there, go four for five with two doubles, a single, and, and nearly the cycle. And he said it just it made you feel like crap every single day that you wanted him off your team. So he not only did he break the color barrier, but he took the Brooklyn Dodgers to a new height of baseball. They won a couple. I think they, they went to a couple World Series, two or three, won multiple of them. Uh, and then, of course, you know, set the barrier, set the uh, – bust open the doors for other guys. I said, like, Mil Willie Mays is one of those guys uh, who came through. Um, give me another one, man. Uh, Lou Brock, Ricky Henderson, right? I mean, all those other guys had the chance to come out and through, come through and play. Uh, Gibson, I, can't, I still can't remember his first name. It's going to bother me. But it's just incredible. All right. Yeah, it was a special day for baseball. Sad they're not we're not watching games, and they, and they were not seeing everybody wear the f number forty two or have patches like Those were that. So cool, but um, but still, it's, it's it's a fun way to still honor and uh, pay tribute, and deservedly so. Yeah, deserve exactly deservedly so. We don't change things just because <laughs> baseball has been taken away from us for a short amount of time. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming back, we'll wrap it up here for the show, get you ready for Thursday's show. It's all coming up here on the Full Court Press, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric France and LJ Salveson here on the Full Court Press, 4.53 your time, three minutes left to complete our Wednesday show halfway through the month, halfway through the week. On the Full Court Press, 106 on FM, 1390 AM, and 106.com. Hey, uh, Jordan Love was again discussed earlier today on this very uh, station. Doug Gottlieb uh, had a draft expert, expert on with him. If you missed that, it was about, when was that? About, I want to say it was about 2.30, between 2.30, 2.35. Um, and uh, they debated Jordan Love, and again, he's he is the most debated player this year. Oh man, I probably in recent memory, right? Even Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, everybody knew where he was going. They don't know where Jordan Love is going to end right. up. Do, do teams trade up to get him, or does he fall in the draft? And then teams like, oh my gosh, look what we just found, and then all of a sudden he potentially displaces somebody who's a starter now. That was that was the discussion. Uh, it seems to be some of the most talked about destinations for him seem to be uh, Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles for the Chargers, New England, and to some degree, Indianapolis. Seems to be, Those seem to be the teams that continually keep popping up as potential destinations. I'd love if he went to New England. Everybody would jump on the bandwagon with me. Uh, by the way, interesting, quickly, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Smith, he's the chief executive for Santa Clara County. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, Santa Clara County, that's where the 49ers are. That's where the San Jose Sharks are. There's three Division I universities in that county. S said that it would take a major miracle for the NFL season to begin on time. 
and says uh, he predicted to his uh, um, board of supervisors last week that sports will not return before Thanksgiving. That's too pessimistic. I don't believe it. Yeah, that's a little pessimistic. But what he did point out is, like, look, we're talking about sporting events and teams that, that travel from all over the country. You not only need assurances of what you're doing locally, but that where they're coming from, that they're doing the right things so they don't bring something with them. And we're, we're talking about thousands of people moving around the country and bringing who knows what with them. Uh, really quickly, just a reminder that we are going to be doing a new thing. And uh, I don't know how we're going to, we still haven't figured out a name for this segment. But tomorrow, starting tomorrow and every Friday, we'll pick one game to detail and to go over and review. Aggie football or Aggie men's basketball. One game every week to really just dive into and to eat up and kind of go over the key plays, bad bounces, bad breaks. It can be a loss or a win. Tomorrow, suggested from 9310, will be the Utah State home loss to Fresno when a Swedish freshman kicker kicked a 57-yard field goal to win it. And I remember Craig Hislop sitting underneath the goalpost with the sideline oh, mic. Yeah, like, that's right. That looks good. That's good. Oh, you got to no. be kidding me. Yeah, it was the oh, <laughs> that no. Was the, <laughs> that was the best call ever. Yeah. You just come straight down the middle. <laughs> so good. All right, we got to go ahead and call tonight for Eric France and Amaje Salveson. This has been the Full Court Press on 106 on FM, 1390 AM, and 106 on the fan.com. Enjoy your stimulus money. <laughs>